I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word as we continue our study of Matthew, looking at Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. Matthew is kind enough to collect all of the parables that he wishes to tell and put them in one chapter. Uh, so that's kind of him. But today we're not looking at all the parables. We're going to do, uh, look at the first one because the first one is itself kind of a parable about parables. A parable that helps guide the way forward for all other parables. So if you would, please give he heed to the word of the Lord from Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1, ending at verse 20 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and I turn, and turn, that, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, Many peoples and righteous, many prophets and righteous peoples longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this passage. Grant that we would be right hearers. Grant that we would indeed persevere, that we would indeed bear fruit. We ask, O oh God, that you would grant us understanding and judgment. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen. Well, Jesus is famous for his parables. That's one of the most common things people will know about Jesus is that he taught in parables. And the parables are very important and they're very significant. They're varied. In fact, when I was at seminary, I took a class on the parables. And it's offered in many seminaries. Uh, many seminaries offer because the parables are, are so confounding and so complex. And in that class, uh, you, I learned a number of things, but not the least of which is that they are indeed confounding. The intent of Jesus with the parables is evidenced by the fact that even sincere-minded, good-hearted Christians can oftentimes struggle with their interpretation and application. There's a lot of misconceptions about parables. Many of them uh, are centered around a naive and biblically uninformed idea that Jesus spoke in parables precisely because he wanted to be understood. They say that Jesus tells stories because stories captivate the imagination and he used them to illustrate great sublime truths that can then pierce to the heart of even the simplest of minds. That's what they say. In fact, there's a, there's a model of preaching. It's not so common and popular in, in a evangelical Bible-believing type churches, but it's called narrative preaching. And it argues from Jesus and his use of parables that we don't need to structure our sermons and try to make a point. We just need to tell a story and let the point kind of make itself. I reject that model here, as do most Bible-believing pastors. But nonetheless, the idea that is pervasive is that the point of parables is to make it easier to understand. And that's wrong. That's incorrect. In a sense, parables are a form of judgment. 
we can see the purpose of parables articulated for us in in the middle section here of, of these verses. Verses 10 through 17. And in these verses, he says to them, this is why, in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because... Seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus didn't come out of the gate preaching in parables. Think back, what's his first big sermon? Sermon on the Mount. Way back in Matthew 5. And he's teaching, just straightforward teaching. And what have we seen consistently since the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that the people, they may like what they hear, but by and large, they have failed to repent. And others have demonstrated outright antagonism towards Jesus and his message and ministry. This is why he says, seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear, I'm saying it, and I'm showing it, but yet, nonetheless, it's not getting through. And thus, it's true of them what was true of the people in Isaiah's day. And here Jesus cites Isaiah chapter 6, that they hear but never understand, they see but never perceive. Why? Because in verse 15, this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can scarcely hear. And here's the operative phrase, the operative clause. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they see. So Jesus here locates the responsibility, the onus For their imperception, not on God's mysterious decree. You can't blame God's sovereignty for human sin. They have closed their eyes because they don't want to see, lest they see. But why would anybody do that? Why would anybody see? but not want to see, or hear, but not want to hear. It doesn't make sense. Actually, Jesus explains it perfectly. In John 3, 19, it's because they love the darkness because they and their deeds are evil. To change metaphors, they're like roaches. And roaches love the dark. You flip the light on and they scurry. And this represents the people of the world in which Jesus came. He he is the light and being the light, he brought light. And by and large, according to Jesus in John 3, people recoiled from it. Because they love the darkness, due to they and their deeds being evil. Thus, 
he speaks in parables as a form of judgment, both in Isaiah's day and in Jesus' own day. That's oftentimes how judgment works. God giving someone more of the thing they want. You don't want to see, you don't want to hear, fine, you can't hear. And they continue to heap up then the judgment that they so rightly deserve. That's how judgment works oftentimes in the Bible. And we see this perhaps even more graphically in Romans 1. And a lot of people struggle over the use of the language here attributed to God. But it's this same picture. You don't want to see. You don't want to hear. You want to turn your back on me. You want to walk in darkness. Then fine. And so we see in chapter of Romans 1, 24 and 26, the language that therefore, in, in view of this, therefore, God gave them over. And, and the reason people struggle with that language is, and here's where the judgment comes, this in Greek does not con- convey the notion of a mere letting go. Here, I'm opening my hands that you might run free, little bird, and do the thing you want to do. That's not judgment. No, the, the verb conveys a proactive pushing. You want to be immoral and debased and debauched and reject your creator and divine design for creation? Then fine. It's yours and the condemnation that follows. That's God's judgment depicted. And so he speaks in parables as a form of judgment on those who do not, who will not listen. It becomes, as it were, sort of like the pillar of fire in Exodus. To the Egyptians, a source of confounding, a source of frustration. But at the same time and simultaneously to the Israelites, a source of life and instruction and illumination. So the parables then are given to us so that those who will not hear do not hear. And he throws out enough, dare I say, uh, obstacles in each parable that it's easy to get misdirected and misguided and to focus on the unimportant or to focus on just a minor point and to miss the whole. And to us, because we descend from the apostles, not that we are their heirs, so to speak, in terms of office, but we are the fruit of their ministry. We and all true believers are descended then from the apostles to whom Jesus said we are privy to the insights and secrets of the kingdom. And so for us, we can indeed walk by faith and hear. So this parable, in accordance with what Jesus says in in verse 10 and 11 about 
To you, disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not. That, that sheds light on the purpose, the functional purpose of all parables. Namely, parables teach some aspect or they illuminate some aspect of the kingdom. Oftentimes, the parables will contrast the logic or the ethics of the kingdom with that of the world. Other times, the parable will help explain the nature of things from the vantage point of the kingdom. But in every case, the common thread that all parables share is illuminating some aspect of the nature of the kingdom. Okay? Now, there are some important principles to, uh, to go over when it's time to consider interpreting a parable. And like I said, I took an entire seminary class on that, and it's, it's a challenge. Because there's no cut and dry rules. Historically, people have gotten turned sideways. Um, in fact... This passage here gave rise in the early church to the idea that all of Scripture could be interpreted like an allegory. And that's not the case. Sometimes the point is the details, like here. Sometimes the details are, are to get you invested in the story so that there's a punch for you. Sometimes... The point of the parable is woven into the story so that you learn the truth of the kingdom along the way. Other times the punchline is, is tacked on at the end. Famously, an, an example of this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke 16. I cannot, every time you read a commentary, I don't care who it's by, and they start trying to derive principles of how heaven and hell relate to each other spatially. And oh, the people in hell can see the people. And they got it wrong. That passage is not about that. It's not about the fact. It's not trying to say that just because Lazarus was poor, he gets to go to heaven. Which is the way the parable makes it sound. It's not just that the, the rich man goes to hell just because he was rich. It's not what the parable is about. Jesus tells you what the parable is about at the end of it. And it's about the sufficiency of it. He, he, he puts all that together just to get to the point where the rich man wants to send someone back, raise someone from the dead to speak and warn his siblings. And the point of the parable, all that, all that story, the point of the parable bottles down to Scripture is sufficient. So interpreting parables can get you turned sideways if you don't listen to the punchline that Jesus provides. Sometimes the point Jesus is trying to make is so contrastive and so, so uncomfortable that, that he appears to be lauding unethical behavior, such as in the case of the parable of the unjust manager where the guy is about to get fired and he goes and he tells people to quickly write off Right off part of their debt. 
And great many uh, acrobatics have tried to be performed to make it sound like he was saving them from, from the unjustness of his boss when that's not what was going on. The parables are complex and they create a visceral, visceral reaction. So, a few operative principles. One, do not treat a parable as an allegory unless Jesus himself does. Okay, take your cues in every case from Jesus. How does he interpret it? So in this case, it's an allegory because he tells you this. He tells you that each thing represents something else. Beware of forcing a uniform meaning on words in every case. For example, anybody who's done even a half-hearted word search will tell you that leaven means bad things. Uh, not really. It's only sometimes. Leaven sometimes is a good thing in many of his parables. It's just a thing. Whether it's good or bad depends on this, how it's used in the parable. Okay? And in every case, every case, when you get a conclusion that you think this passage is about, you take it to a non-parabolic passage to find corroborating evidence for its interpretation. It's the principle that you interpret difficult portions of Scripture with clear portions of Scripture, okay? So we come to this particular parable. This parable that's going to teach us about parables. We come to this one entitled the parable of the sower. And here, I'm gonna pause and go back to a principle of interpreting parables. I just said we're gonna talk about the parable of the sower. And when we interpret parables, we need to take our cues from Jesus. Virtually every practical commentary that I read on this and most sermons that I find, most people make the soils the focus of the parable because more attention is given to them. More detail is provided to them about it. Is the story primarily about soils? Well, you might be tempted to think so, except that Jesus, hear the words of Jesus in verse 18. Look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. So according to Jesus, this parable is principally not about soils and seeds. Principally, it's about the sower. Take your interpretive cues from the text of Scripture. This passage, this parable, is one of three parables that is included in all synoptic gospels. Thus, it's of especial importance. And whenever we come to one of the three, I will point it out to you because by virtue of the fact that it's included in all the gospels, you know it's especially germane. And in each case, it's, it's, also, it's not just here in Matthew 13, but it's in Mark 4 and Luke 8. 
if you want to write that down. But in each case, in the middle, between the initial telling of the parable and its explanation, in each case, you have that, that explanation of why speak in parables at all. So you see that it all kind of goes together. This parable then is seen as an explanation of why Jesus is talking in parables. And indeed, it's, as far as parables go, it's among the easier ones to understand. In fact, that's what Jesus says. If you flip over to Mark 4.13, which is Mark's telling of this story, when the, par- when the disciples ask him, what does this mean? Mark records that Jesus actually expresses surprise. If you don't understand this one, how can you understand any of them? So this parable is is especially important for understanding parables at all. So this parable, the parable of the sower, is essentially an introduction to parables. And it's principally about the sower. So what is this parable then primarily concerned with teaching? Well, Jesus is here. And he's preaching. And he's doing his ministry. And people, by and large, are rejecting. They may have interest and enthusiasm for a while, but by and large, they are not repenting the way they should or the way that they would have expected. And the disciples themselves had already been sent out on a mission, and they're about to be sent out again, and they're going to, in fact, become the apostles who go on their missionary journeys and establish the church. This parable then is a pictorial explanation for why certain people respond the way they do. What's more, pastorally, this parable then goes on to caution. It implicitly cautions us about what we should be aware of as as obstacles to our faith the kind of things we should look out for and avoid in ourselves and as leaders in others. This parable is principally about hearing. Note this in verse 9 after he says it. He who has ears, let him hear. And then following that statement in verse 9, you have his explanation of why he's speaking in parables. And he specifically says that they have closed their ears and they don't hear. And then notice the repeated cadence in his explanation of the parables, that the soils represent different types of hearing. Hearing. How do we hear? How do we hear the word preached? And how do we respond upon having heard? So this parable then of the sower that offers an explanation to the disciples and to us about the nature of human response and human hearing of the word and their response, this parable has three elements that are especially germane to its interpretation. The first is the seed itself. Jesus tells us plainly in Mark 4, 14 that 
The seed that's being sown is the word. And you see in Matthew 13, 19 that Jesus refers to it as the word of the kingdom. And this word is not just there like the Bible you might be tempted to say. No, this this word is sown, it's cast, it's scattered, it's heard. It's the preaching of the word or the word proclaimed. That is the seed, the word proclaimed. And it's sown, according to Matthew 13, 18, in the heart. It enters by means of the ear because it's an audible word, but it's sown in the heart. Now, I find it incredible. Look at verse 13, 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house. Okay, yada, yada, yada. Look right before that at the end of chapter 12. He's in a house speaking, and his mother and his brothers stood outside, and they're trying to get him. So they are outside. His mother and his brothers are outside, and Jesus does his famous, I'll tell you who my mother and my brothers are, these people around me who do the will of the Father. But anyway, Jesus goes outside the house in verse 13, 1. Which means his mother and his brothers are there and Jesus starts talking. Now at the time, they didn't believe. But they go on to believe. And one of Jesus' brothers is James. And think back to our study of James. And think of James chapter 1 verse 21. In which we're told to receive meekly. The word implanted within us. Do you think maybe he was thinking about what Jesus said on this occasion when he stepped outside and he was there and he didn't yet believe? So the truth of it was lost on him perhaps, but eventually when he came to faith, he knew. Do you think there's maybe a correlation? I think so. But the seed is proclaimed and it's sown in the heart and it enters by the ear and it's implanted in us and it, and it will yield fruit leading to salvation, James says, in the right circumstances. So the seed we're talking about is the word proclaimed. The sower. This parable is about the sower and rightly so. Who is the sower? Well, this is a humbling and exalting point that needs to be made. The sower was, is, and always will be Christ. Christ is the one who sows the seed. What are you talking about, Ben? You're up there preaching. What are you talking about? No, no. What does Jesus say in John 10? about the sheep, they hear my voice and they respond. So the sheep will hear the voice of the shepherd. That great missiological passage that that has driven like an engine Christian mission for hundreds of years, Romans 10. How will people hear if they're not told? Right? You know the passage. 
put an asterisk to go check it out if you don't believe me. Romans 10, 14. Here's, here's what most of your Bible versions say. Something to the effect of this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? All right, that middle clause is the one that needs some clarification. The middle one. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Most Bible translations have that, some form of that. And in this case, I love it when it's the King James, that's the one that's spot on, but in this case, it's not. It's guilty of the same offense that every other version is. In this, ver- in this case, it's the NASB that gets it spot on with the Greek. And here's what the NASB says, which is the literal Greek of that clause. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? That's different than how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard. Hear the difference? Most translations translate in the word of. They put it there. It's not in the text. Because they think it makes more sense. Because you need to hear about Jesus in order to to, to call on him, to believe in him. But the Greek doesn't say of whom. It just says whom. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And the logic of Paul in Romans is the logic of Jesus and John in John 10. That the sheep hear the shepherd and they respond. If you respond in faith, it's because you, by the Spirit's agency, heard the voice of Jesus and you respond. But Paul is not a, not a mystic. He doesn't suggest that Jesus comes and just talks immediately to people. No, the last clause, how are they to hear without someone preaching? So Paul acknowledges that the voice of the Savior is heard in, with, under, and through the voice of the human vessel. This is why he lauds the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1, sorry, 2, that they heard him, the Thessalonians heard Paul, but then rightly deduced and responded to the word for what it really was, which is the word of God. So, God, the Son, our Lord, the King, sends out his ministers, those who in his name proclaim, and in their proclamation, the word of the shepherd is heard. So understand this. No one, not George Whitfield, not Charles Spurgeon, not, not Billy Graham, not, not 
Paul or Augustine or Ambrose or Chrysostom, and certainly not me. No preacher of the word brings life. We are jars of clay in whom he has a great treasure. And in any time anybody repents of their sin and turns to Christ in faith, it's because they've heard Christ speaking amidst the, the shaft of the rest of our words. So understand this. When you are privileged to explain the gospel, the, the reason for the hope you have within you to, to your family, to maybe your child or, 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 or your coworkers or a friend or whoever, be careful to be faithful because when you speak, you represent Christ, but be humble because Christ is the one who speaks through our words to woo and draw his sheep, okay? So listen, in all times and in every case, for the voice of the shepherd. Have you heard it? Have you heard the voice of Jesus? Are you clinging in faith and in hope to the promise The unprepared heart is that hardened, barren path that just gets trod on. And you guys have seen this kind of path. Maybe you've been to uh, a national park and it gets so sun-baked that it's actually kind of slick, even though it's bone dry. And nothing is going to penetrate that. That's the natural human unprepared heart. Have you heard the voice of the shepherd? If you're clinging in faith, then take heart. Take heart, for you have heard the Spirit bring the words of Christ and plant them in you to give you life. Now, the rest of this parable we're going to come back to next week. I'm at the end. This is one of those times where you got to come back if you want to hear the rest. Okay, so let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this passage Jesus, it's awesome that you speak through the proclamation of your word. Wow. Grant that we would be found faithful stewards of that word. And grant that we would derive great hope from the fact that our faith indicates that we have indeed heard your voice. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us life. It's in your name we pray, O oh Lord. Amen.